Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. This Web3 community is very small, so I was very excited to meet another Caribbean, particularly another Jamaican that was in the space. So when I met Andre Millwood on Twitter, I was very excited to connect with him. And then he told me about the project that he had launched called Big Mouth Bastards and his NFT Bounty Hunter Guild. I was very excited to connect with him, learn more. And then we started holding various spaces called NFT Lime, which is a Caribbean space that we hold on Twitter on Thursdays, inviting other Caribbeans to learn about the space, discuss everything. So I was very excited to bring him on the show to not just speak about the wins and all the exciting things that are going on in Web3, but what he learned from launching a project in the early days that did not sell out from a marketing perspective and also as a developer. So hopefully you enjoy this conversation. There's a lot to take away from this, whether you're someone that is just learning the space, trying to evaluate it from a business perspective or you are someone who's actually getting ready to launch a project. Just a quick apology in advance. There are certain areas where it was a little bit choppy with sound that I had to cut out simply because on the island, we had some technical issues as far as the signal strength. Right now, the internet is being very shoddy. However, did not want to scrap this because we had some great points. It was very natural to try to re-record it. It would just lost some of the authenticity. So without any more delay, let's get to that conversation with Andre. Excited to have you on. We've hosted so many spaces together. Now to hear about your project, all the lessons you've learned. I'm really excited to get that. Being the Nifty Business Podcast, we like to focus on the practical side of all this blockchain technology and everything. And it's not about speculation, but how we can use this to build businesses and what have you. So very excited to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Looking forward to the discussion. Just a little bit about your background. What sort of uh, tech were you into before coming into Web3? That is a laundry list. But before getting into Web3, I would have primarily tried to tell people that my base career is as a designer, as a developer, and as a marketer. I would have enjoyed getting into different business ventures as an entrepreneur, having my own creative agency, going into the pandemic, creative and IT agency, because it's a hybrid, actually. But I would have enjoyed doing web development. I would have enjoyed doing digital marketing. SEO, I would have enjoyed building apps. I've enjoyed working with 3D, having provided renders for many an event, uh, many a build out for a stage, etc. I even got to play around and give some value to some companies with augmented reality. It was almost a given that seeing how NFTs and Web3 started to become popularized during the pandemic, that I would have to explore it. I'd love to hear how people came into this space. So what exactly drew you specifically to Web3? What was your introduction point? Was it someone that tipped you off about it or invited you in for a particular project or what? How did you end up actually in Web3 after all that? Well, shout out to Bonito. That's at Bonito on Twitter. We spoke about being a space and we discussed the whole prospect of NFTs. This would have been about August 2021. From there, within that same space, actually, the Crypto Rasta's founder, he got prompted to join our space. We actually had about a decent amount of persons on that space, actually, about 100, almost 200 persons joined the space, just listening to us go on about the prospect of NFTs. It was properly promoted. We promoted it for a week, actually, the space. 
And the Crypto Wrestlers guys, they joined the space and they spoke on their projects. We learned about their, and I in turn went and got my third NFT was a Crypto Wrestlers NFT. But after doing that space, I hooked up with my current partner within the Big Mouth Bastards project, um, Tom Chop. And he had brought me into the enlightenment that one could get into NFT trading without even spending money by, you know, actively engaging with the communities, getting whitelisted, and then you potentially can get either early access whitelist to Mint, or sometimes you get free NFTs as giveaways and stuff like that. As well as there were projects that you could, they're purely free mints. So I, I've been off with the idea of free mints from the beginning of my active experience within the space. So I got to dip my toes there, but then myself and Tom Chop, after successfully getting into some of these whitelists and getting these free NFTs and trading, as well as me joining the Crypto Rassas community, we discussed that we wanted to try to put out a collection of our own. At the point in time, I hadn't even started doing blockchain development as it. Nothing with related. It was just that I'm technically savvy to navigate. We were actually trying to onboard other developers, but it was a bit difficult to get persons to work with our simulation because, you know, we had no expectations or appreciations that we were going to make any money and persons weren't able to contribute their time locally. A lot of Jamaicans um, specifically don't have the time to just have to make money to survive or to try to grow. But we really wanted to learn by doing and we went into the project, created the art. I specifically was more responsible. I touched up on the art because, you know, I do the art, the illustration design, but I was really the person that ended up doing the dev work by generating the NFTs via code, generative art. I worked on creating the marketing website and I created the Mint website. So that's how that ended up coming together. Very cool. You know, all these different things. And I'm a person too that love to learn by doing. Of course, you know, I research everything. My wife loves to tell me that I am the king of Google because everything that I have a question about, I end up searching, but I love to do as well figure these things out. And that's one of the things, you know, I really love about Web3 because we are here in an area where the textbooks aren't written yet. We get to write the textbooks and test things out. And I think with your background, seeing all these different things, I find it very cool that you're able to jump into this. So about the project now, you and Tom getting together, starting this project and getting this together. I remember when I first met you, you gave me the elevator pitch, just giving me the brief of it. And I was really blown away by the project. So can you summarize that, share a little bit about that project so anyone can really understand what that was about? I'd want to start by just giving that preface or the preface that when we went into doing this as a simulation, we didn't even appreciate the idea of utility or anything of the sort. We were mostly just observing the market and realizing that persons were putting out these avatars, these profile pictures, as well as art. And we thought, hey, let's put that out too. But I would have to admit that I was the fault. Their scope group came in. I discovered this wonderful thing of utility. I started to appreciate the market. So the Big Boat Bastards is a Solana-based NFT project of 10,000 bounty hunter alien, influenced by human pop culture, tied to a NFT bounty hunting guild community. It is for those who are enthusiasts in NFT collection and trading, and for those who are new and interested in the NFT space. The bounty guild specifically provides an alternate consideration of creating value and gaining value from earning, buying, and selling NFTs 
applying what we call bounty events that provides incentives to the persons who submits the NFT that has been marked for a bounty. The remaining participants in the hunt are rewarded with our native token plasma. So, I mean, we, we, we got to create a token as well by doing this. But unlike buying NFTs, generally, you know, at OpenSea and Magic Eden, the like, and being unsure if the project will be of value or if the team is able to bring it forward towards gains, our guild brings external value to the NFT projects, NFT markets, allowing for hunters, NFT buyers to play around and potentially gain just from, well, either just from doing our hunting or along with doing the hunting and investing or collecting projects. That's very interesting. So basically the problem that you're solving is for an underexposed project that might be good. When you put the bounty out on that, the community then shifts their interest towards that and basically races to go and buy a particular NFT and bring back the bounty for a particular reward. Is that correct? Yes. And ultimately, it, we, we have designed the framework, the tokenomics even, to not just reward the winner, but also to potentially reward just even participants. So we wanted to make it a no-loss game, a no-loss utility. But of course, the winner of the bounty is the one that enjoys the greatest share of the spoils. That's very cool because we still have a problem with projects not being able to get exposure or build up. Because a lot of times the team, you either have somebody that's very strong in art or somebody that's very strong on the develop side or somebody that is strong in just the marketing and doesn't have the other things in peace. So you provide that external marketing, if you will, that external push for a team that might have the developer and the artist but doesn't know how to get the interest, correct? Ideally, that's the value that we were looking at. We would give to the creators or collection owners of the NFT projects. And that's very cool. And then you gamify it. So everyone wins. It's a fun thing because we all love to collect. We love to compete. We love to play the game. And this project was really something that kind of blew me away. Because at the time when we first met and you're speaking about it, and when you said it launched, I said, wow, you know, I've never heard anything like that. And still, I still haven't heard anything like that. And I think it was a really great idea because problem that is solving is something that is ongoing. I heard a crazy statistic the other day that about 500 new NFT projects are coming online every single day. So that problem that you are solving with this is only getting much bigger because there are so many projects and not enough people buying them. So this is a very interesting thing. So what exactly went with this and, and where is it now? So... And this is the part that it, it, I would honestly have to say it pains me to have to report. The, the reality is that, uh, as we stated, as I stated earlier, myself and Tom Chop, we went into this as a simulation. We actually even, at the time, Solana was priced pretty high in comparison to where it is now in the bear market. Now is a better time to even build. And I'm considering how to get back to that you know, whilst navigating the rest of the inflation, global crisis that we're experiencing right now. But at that time, Solana was pretty high. It was at 180, maybe even 200, I remember at one point in time. And of course, in order to mint on the Solana chain, we used the Metaplex framework and we would have to create the candy machines. We would have to have spent monies buying Solana to finance getting that those NFTs, those candy machines up so that persons would be able to mint. Um, we, we had to borrow money um, on top of what myself and Tom Chop would have already been 
able to have finances out of our own pockets. And because I would say that, truthfully, as much as I am a marketer, I, as you would have heard me report, I played a heavy role as the dev and somewhat of a role as creative. Tom Chop is not a marketer by profession, he's a creative by profession. And we unfortunately didn't have much internal support from the team to tackle the marketing and the community engagement. And truthfully, it was at a time when if we had somebody doing that, it probably could have taken off. I would have to state that at the same time we were going out, we saw another Caribbean-based project, Days Ducks, go out and they enjoyed a full mint within a couple of days. And we could see where they obviously had a great community element designed and considered, and they had a great marketing element utilizing Twitter, utilizing Discord, considered and executed. We didn't have that. But the project isn't dead. We're not rug pulling in no way, shape, and form. We've considered it couldn't be a rug pull because, well, not much people minted anyway. And those who have minted, like yourself, because I believe you did mint some, you guys are pretty much very excited to see how and when it comes to life. And I also enjoy that perspective. I've been observing the market. And if something was created that was in any way remotely similar to what we're doing, I wouldn't even really be upset. I'd be more so happy that somebody else has seen that there is other ways to bring activity from a fiscal perspective, even from a value perspective to the NFT market that helps collectors, that helps new persons, independent of having to know how to technically read transactions and all that, as well as the collectors by helping them to promote. Because as you can hear, we would have appreciated where we didn't have much help from a marketing end. Not that I didn't know how to design and put together, but couldn't execute. And there are many others who just didn't have anybody who could even put it together like I could, much less to execute. So it, it's, it's a problem definitely that we enjoy. And that, those statistics that you shared, that's up to date, that's current. Yeah, the 500 coming on every day. Yeah, that's, that's current statistics. Yeah, obviously, we don't hear the majority of them. And I'm in this thing every single day trying to research different ones. And quite a few times I find a project and say, oh, this is a new upcoming thing. And I said, no, this actually launched about two months ago. And it's just sputtered away. Yeah, they're coming on very regularly still. Right, right. And it's an insane prospect. And there's one thing I, I'd love to get back to it. I'm in my other ventures exploring, starting in Jamaica. I'm opening a new liquid nitrogen ice cream store. I have a marketing agency where we're exploring getting clients from outside of the island and giving value to international clients as well as more local clients within the island. So, you know, I'm actively looking at increasing my own revenue so that I can even reinvest back into this. Because another statistic that I enjoyed was that OpenSea has actually had the lowest revenue since they even got that VC investment, where before they were enjoying making millions per day. And I think the last statistic that was shared since week was that they had a day, they had a low of about $400,000 in transactional revenue. So it goes to show that NFT trading, unfortunately, has decreased at this point in time. Of course, that is obviously the whole crypto winter situation that is happening overall, as well as the whole inflation thing overall. But I also look at it to say there's been a recognition in the market in alignment with Gary V's message, the one that he pioneers heavily that, and he was he spoke about it at the VCon conference that he hosted, that... NFTs are still going to zero. We're still going to see a lot of them from a value perspective go to zero. 
And I think that's because it's, it's not very accessible for somebody to go and get into NFT trading. You have to have the time, you have to have the, the technical literacy, the fiscal and trading literacy to really go in and play the game. What I was hoping is that there would be a way to simplify that and remove that and make it so that the average person would be able to just go on a platform and say, all right, I'm going to play the NFT game. I'm going to hunt this NFT. And if I win, then I earn. And if I don't win, at least I got something. And then that token, which I want to explain a little bit, there is a revenue, there's a whole business system. So persons would be able to maybe once a month freely take part in a public, what we call a public bounty. But outside of that, if you want to get more active, get into bounties that would be happening daily, hourly, one would have to buy what we call bounty passes, right? So it's tickets, really, to the event. And therefore, there's a revenue system we're hoping to build, a customer base we're hoping to build. And this would serve outside of the raising of capital by the initial mint, where these big mount bastards would also be technically co-owners to this framework, this protocol, that we would be able to put actual monetary value as a reserve behind these tokens. So yes, the NFT winner would get, I think we had identified at the time, the Solana cryptocurrency. We might be exploring becoming a bit more, not so Solana heavy, but more so friendly to all blockchains when we get back in to be more active. But we were also looking at the fact that we would be able to make sure that everybody can earn even a little bit just because they played the game because our token would have that reserve where we can buy back that token from persons when they earn it from play. As you're speaking with this, the problem that I was seeing with a lot of those early mints that blew up and took off is that the people that really drove it to success levels were the Web3 natives, right? And for the most part, those people have had their liquidity tied up in lots of projects and all over the place and they were affected. But now we're at a point where those Web2 people are going to come in. So the fact that you have the marketing experience as far as from a Web2 and not specifically gearing it towards a Web3 audience, I think that could actually help with this project because like you just said, trying to make that accessibility for other people coming in and uh, different things and bridging with projects and what have you, the problem is still there more than ever before. So having that, having the accessibility foremost at the front of the project, I think is going to be a good thing in the future going for this. I really do. Definitely. And accessibility is one of the things that is very important to me. As you heard me say, we're, we're, we're looking to become more friendly to other blockchains. We started to really look into the utilization of the Polygon. I love the fact that you even put me onto the Wax blockchain and we heard about the Cardano blockchain in our space within the last week. And the more I'm even just taking part, interacting from a community level, from a engagement level, Web3 spaces, the more I'm able to glean more knowledge to fine-tune that initial idea to make sure it is accessible to persons. So one of the things that I'm looking forward to is to be able to simplify our tech stack so that if it is that I can't even really add on to the community where we get active persons working on it daily, this project, it, it should be a case where I can maybe shift back into my market art and not worry about the code or dev or anything like that and now go to getting persons to understand what we're bringing as a value, onboarding them into the platform and potentially get the capital raise and generate revenue. That's, that's really what I'm hopefully looking for. But I don't have a time frame on that. I, I'm daily just watching what's happening with the world, going at my activities and 
seeing where and how to find opportunities. Now, one of the things I'm also actively exploring is just looking at the financing options. We see where a lot of VC money is being thrown around in Web3. And of course, we're, we're, we're here in the Caribbean. I'm hoping that it might be a little bit different because I understand with Web2, it's a bit different when we're trying to build an app or a platform. When you build it from the Caribbean, we have the issues of access to e-commerce. That's not really such a great thing within Jamaica. And if you're doing it from here in the States, there's a lot of loopholes and hurdles that you have to jump through to ensure you get into that. It's not really as simple as when you're in the States and you're native there, you just plug and play and you have a Shopify, you have a Squarespace, you have a PayPal and it's all friendly. You can get that money digitally. There's a whole lot that we have to do. But I'm hoping that because Web3 is much, much different because there's not that issue now. I just have my wallet and people just pay to the wallet or they buy it from OpenSea, etc. I'm hoping that it might be the same with approaching the VCs and the grant funders because I've seen a lot of grants. I realize that Binance is doing their grant now, although that it was for South Korea. Like a bit bad mind, not sure why they love to ignore the Caribbean so much. But I'm hoping that maybe there might be an opportunity there where one can pitch this value to these people and they might get up and say, hey, we see the value in this. Let us put some funding behind it so you can get something going. Yeah, I think this is a lot of potential for the space. And one statistic that I like to share when I'm speaking about the space and what have you is understanding at the current value right now, it is 155 Jamaican dollars to go into one US dollar. So when ETH is sitting at $4,000, that is lower middle income for an entire year for some families. You know, that's, that's a lot to go in. So having all this opportunity for Caribbean developers and things to come online to people abroad, you hear one ETH, a project, let's say they, they raise one ETH or whatever it might be to some people say that's a complete failure. However, there's countries around the world where a one ETH mint you know, if that is the total generated from that, that can fund some certain things locally to get a team together, to get things together. So I think there's a bright future for Web3 within the Caribbean. And especially now that all crypto is down, it does make it a little bit more accessible because that same one to 155 US dollars to get in is, is pretty stable and it's only getting worse. However, with Ethan, everything coming down, more people can invest into the blockchain. So I'm bullish for not just the space, but also for the Caribbean coming into the space. I remember we enjoyed a separate conversation about this. One has to remember that the granddaddy of all this is Bitcoin. And if it's one thing that we all, it, it's something important for everybody in Web3 to appreciate that the, the big glaring white light at the end of the, the crypto winter tunnel is that Bitcoin has a finite value. There's no way to reprint. It's not like the US dollar. I enjoy a joke. I saw on Twitter that the US government is an interesting dev team where they just print tokens, you know, willy-nilly and they burn tokens willy-nilly and that is what is causing this mess right now if you were to look at the US dollar in and of itself as a token and the US government as a project owner, Right. But Bitcoin is finite, it is decentralized, and it, yes, Ethereum and we have blockchains like Solana and whatever coming along that have come with value propositions where they sacrifice maybe sometimes even the decentralization to get transaction speed or such and such. Bitcoin is actually progressing with solutions within the Bitcoin blockchain where one has the Lightning Network where they're doing transactions, one has the Stacks protocol where they're bringing smart contracts to Bitcoin. So outside of all of that, though, Bitcoin is finite. And 
at any price, at any point in time, if one can set a framework to just buy Bitcoin right now, one should do that because it is going to go back up. I can't tell you when, but it is going to. That's, I definitely know that just based off of what Bitcoin is and how it's designed. So we, we all, no matter what we're in, whether it's NFTs, whether we call it ETH, ADA, we must give respect to the granddaddy, which is Bitcoin, and we need to be playing that game. We need to all be playing that game as a whole, as a community. That is very sound advice. And definitely that's something that even the person that got me into crypto and the person that was preaching all of this, you have to buy crypto for the longest time. And I could not see the value until I saw you know, smart contracts and NFTs and everything. That's what showed me the light because I always knew there was financial problems and I studied currency and all that since 2008 and the crash. But it was NFT, smart contracts and everything that got me to look into Bitcoin. And funny enough, the tables have turned now where I'm saying, you know what? We really need to start to portion a section over for Bitcoin specifically. He's made quite a lot of money with the other altcoins and what have you. And even he was sort of on the fence. And I said, you know what? I think this is the time now, whatever percent, even if it's 1%, whatever percent that you want to allocate towards it to definitely put towards it. So I'm glad you shared that. And that is something that I will 100% agree with you. To me, that's not controversial. That is just the fact of the matter. The whole market moves with Bitcoin. So with that said, (laughs) that piece of advice is obviously not financial advice, but it's just something that we've looked on, seeing the numbers of it, seeing how this market works and the tech behind Bitcoin, and that's not going anywhere. So what other advice would you say as far as maybe a dev team, what you've learned doing this whole thing, projects, any kind of advice you'd share with somebody that's trying to come online right now from a business side? (laughs) Oh, I have a decent advice I can give from a dev perspective. So... One cannot treat Web3 like Web2 development, especially when you're going live. When I tried to make my first candy machine, I think I had like an issue with comma or something like that. You know, that programming issue that people tend to have. And, you know, spent the Solana to publish a candy machine, but it wasn't working. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure it out until I got to the comma. But then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to spend all this Solana again for that mistake. It was costly, right? We accepted it. You know, it's a learning experience. But one of the things I realized that I had needed to do was use the testnet. It might seem like such simple advice, but many of us, as they've sometimes, we, you know, we're very confident in ourselves. And of course, with Web2, there's no penalties to going live on the internet, especially when you just creating something and you don't expect traffic or functionality users to be trying to do something. So you might publish it and then when it doesn't work, you say, hey, let me go and adjust it. When you're doing Web3, there is a cost to publishing and if it's not going to work, then you're going to have to pay again to put it up. So you might as well take the time, run it on the test nets on the respective chains and make sure that that is working before you then go live on the actual chains. That's one definite thing I could share from a dev perspective. Well appreciated. And there have been major launches, not going to name any names, that had millions and millions of dollars behind it, had a huge teams, celebrities endorsing it, what have you, and they did not do that. And it has cost them millions and millions of dollars. So that is very good, valuable advice, as simple as it is. People with huge budgets and big teams are not adhering to it. So thank you for that. Great advice. And anything that you'd like to share about what to look for, where we can get in contact with you or anything of that nature? Well, definitely just to start with, you know, follow me on Twitter. And that's at Andre Millwood. My name is the same on all platforms, actually. So 
can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, whatsoever. I'm not going to say there's anything on YouTube that should be of any interest to anybody yet. One thing I would like to share, if I can just take a few moments, I have a project that is a little bit more dear and dear to me even than the Big Mo Bastards, and I believe it has a wider utility. It's called Promerang. Um, the name is a cross between promotion and boomerang, and it's a way that I have considered, along with my partner, Dane Campbell, where we've considered where we can allow persons to actually earn from the activity they potentially already do on social media, which is to like content, to comment on content, to share content, as well as the posting of content. We believe it's very unique to this day, just like the Big Mouth Bastards. I believe we've captured a humongous potential opportunity. And it's one of the things that I'm actually going to go back to focus on. And I may be dropping an NFT collection in relation to it to also try to build a community. So that's coming in the near, near future. But the website is promerang.co. That's P-R-O-M-O-R-A-N-G.co. So you guys can visit it in your um, spare time. Awesome. So thank you for that. And of course, I'll be putting the links to your social and those things right in the show notes. So that way, no spelling issues or anything of that nature. So appreciate the time. Love the advice that you've given. Drop some knowledge and insight and all that you've learned because it's not just the success stories and all the board apes going to the moon and those things. I believe you can learn from any project, any business. And even with Silicon Valley and everything, they like to know, well, what businesses have you already launched that didn't do so well? What did you learn from that? So there's a lot to learn from that. So thank you for opening up, being honest, peeling back the curtain and just telling us what went on behind the scenes and how all that went. So really appreciate the time. Definitely, man. And thank you for having me. And just, of course, a very important note, the project is still alive. Anybody can go and mint right now. It's the CHOP universe, C-H-O-P-P-E-D, the CHOP universe, which is our overall community and project brand um, that we work with. And persons can go on it and they can mint right now. And regardless of where we go, anybody who owns a Big Mo Bastards NFT as it is right now, there are always going to be legacy members within the project as it is. Hopefully you found that very interesting. As someone who actually holds two of these NFTs, I was really excited out of the gate to see where this was going to go. I minted two. However, as explained through the whole thing, it did not take off as we expected, but I thought it would have been very valuable just to have him on to discuss everything, and I hope you pulled away some great points from it. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let me know. Reviews on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this is greatly appreciated. It goes a long way to help other people find the show. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this every single day as we're learning and building Web3 together. So until next time, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.